Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined. As I am every Thursday during the off season by my good friend down there in Decula, Georgia, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. We are uh, 65 days till college football season, so uh, getting amped. When you think of the number 65, um, who do you think of first in college football? 65. Shoot, I don't think there's a 65 that comes to uh, comes to mind off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't think I have one either. I think 64, or no, I think 62 is retired for Georgia, Charlie Trippy back in the day. Mm. But uh, 65, I can't even think of who the current 65 is on uh, on anyone's roster. I don't know. It's, I, is Kevin Zeichler in the NFL 65, I want to say? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's I don't a deep know. hole. Um, yeah, we are basically two months away and it's a really dead period of time and obviously not a lot of news other than just kids being on campus and then them talking to rivals and 247 sports about how much of a family like atmosphere and how cool the facilities are and how much they're excited to get back matt i swear every kid quote on every piece that i read every day about the recruiting stuff is the exact same I feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like <laughs> I feel like the Mad Hatter and Alice in Wonderland. I, I'm just losing it because I'm like, I swear 19 other kids have said this exact quote about school X. Yeah, you say, oh man, the facilities were just amazing. And I don't know, the stadium was, was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And and the coach, you know, we didn't really talk about football. He just got to know me as a person. <laughs> it's always it's always that. Like to say, just real family family vibe family atmosphere but honestly i can't imagine it like if you if you visited some of these schools like you'd probably be like wow this this is amazing facility if this school was actually courting you and trying to get you to come there they're showing you everything about that school like they're showing you the stuff that the athletes get that's way better than the regular students that's true that's true it's probably a cool experience. And the thing that's now common that was not common when we were growing up reading is just like all the social media <clears throat> put put ups of like them in the uniforms. So they just get to put on the uniforms and flash for social media. And that was something that I've talked to like older, older college football folks where it's just there's this humongous disconnect where they're like, uh, that's part of the concern of the NIL stuff is like, oh, it's going to be more about money and less about the love of the game and the love of their school. Uh, bad news for you folks, um, the older folks, the boomers. Look, love you, uh, grandparents are boomers. Um, they're not going to your school because they love your school. They're not going to your school because of any of that. They they are not drawn to the Tuscaloosa experience or the the Clemson experience. They're not there because they're they're Clemson right? diehards. This guy this guy was like two seconds away from choosing Auburn instead of Alabama. Right? Yeah. It's like they they have no attachment to this school until they're getting recruited to play football there. Correct. For the most part. And their experience is not like yours. Their college experience is nothing like yours. And it's about to be very, very different with NIL <laughs> coming into fold. Um, it's just not, it's a business. Like they are looking, they, like it is a business opportunity for them. And it's been that for a while. They do not care if they win a national title. They do not care. Num- that's on number five on the list. So when people are like, oh, we got to get back to respectability. Doesn't matter. North Carolina didn't have to get back to respectability. They just had to get the bag. They had to get that money moving. They had to get the good recruiter in there, Mac Brown. It's not to about be that. fair, they care about winning national championships. No, they don't. But it's not by it's and large. Like, I'm telling you, I've same... talked to so many coaches about this. These kids, like you're seeing at the high school level, they are not in it to win a title. They're like, hey, here's my scheme. Like they're so isolated where wide receivers only work with wide receivers and quarterbacks only work with quarterbacks. And they all go in and they do their job. Everything is specialized where it's just like, got to get my tape. And then they go immediately. How did I look on tape? Not did we win the game? Like they want to know how did my targets get, go? How did my numbers Well, look? And it's like essentially an internship type yeah. thing. Like you're going to college for this reason to get this job. So you're trying to become the most hireable you can possibly be. So it makes sense. So it's obviously the number one goal is to make football your future. But 
we've we've heard plenty of guys that you know maybe they didn't go to a school maybe it wasn't their first reason but they stayed for their senior year because they want to they want to win a national championship or something like that we've we've heard those situations maybe it also coincided with your draft stock being yep. kind of low after your junior year and you want to get it back up but it, in general i know what you're saying it's a business so well that was yeah, my whole thing out. my broader point is just that like nil is not changing anything in that regard or like no kids have viewed it the exact same way for years like it has been a business long before nil like it is uh, reggie bush was not going to usc because he was all about the trojan way like he uh it was it was not like that there were uh maybe some other reasons why reggie bush wanted to go to usc just a guess oh for sure but I think the craziest part of that that no one I think was anticipating about the NIL was the female athletes actually maybe making way more than the male athletes because attractive females just simply have a higher social media following. That's just a that's just a fact of life. And we've already seen, you know, this gymnast at LLSU, the the twins were the, those twin basketball players. They're from Stanford. I'm not I could you know what I'm talking about that you've seen that I have not. I could. Oh, there's these two twins, girls, uh, Fresno State. They both go to Fresno State. These twins, and they've already gotten like a deal with like Boost Mobile or something like that. Like it's it's crazy. And so, just knowing how many people are going to see your ad on Instagram, like females, just have attractive females just have more TikTok, Instagram, Twitter followers. You know. So I think that was probably the thing that threw me off here on July 1st, which the other July 1st was the start of NIL. But you know what July 1st also is, right? What is that? July 1st is Bobby Bonilla Day. Yes, that is true. (laughs) So once again, I think for another like 14 years, 15 years, the Mets have paid Bobby Bonilla $1.19 million. It's just, it's awesome. Like the best story in sports. But I, um, I just... I don't know what it's going to do. Are we just jumping right into the whole NIL conversation? We just, we just doing it right now? Yeah, I mean, that's what this... I mean, that's the headline. That is that is what everyone's talking about today in college football. Like, I've already lost track. Like, I know Bo Nix immediately was like, hey, I love Milo's sweet tea. And our family has always loved Milo's. <laughs> and I'm just Ma, like... Ma oh and Paul always had Milo's sweet tea. Amazing. And I'm like, no, he, no, no, they didn't. Hundred percent, never, never a thing. You were not chugging Milo's sweet tea with that much sugar, and you were a big time high school athlete. Don't believe but me, Auburn, Bo Nix. Auburn's one of the teams I've been thinking about because you know the Yellowwood guy, right? Mm. He's like Auburn's number one booster. That mm. dude's like legit worth like a billion dollars or like nine hundred million or something. Hmm. I'm just saying, like, what is preventing these big time boosters from just putting players on the payroll, like? It's like you, I, when I worked at the College Football Hall of Fame, my checks came from Atlanta Hall Management, right? It's like you might be playing football for Auburn University, but the check is coming from Yellowwood Corporation or something. You know what mm. I mean? I just, I don't know what is preventing a school from doing that. Just having the the Yellowwood offensive and defensive players of the game and just, it's a it's $20,000 just for being the player of the game against against uh ul monroe it's fifty thousand dollars being the player of the game against alabama you know like i don't know how to regulate this i think i first of all i don't want i don't want to prevent guys from making money right i just don't want it to turn into a sport where it's just players just go to the highest bidder right there has to be that's how it's always been though but it's not literally that way it's like it's underground that way you're right. The schools with the most, you know, resources and everything do the best, right? In general. But this is just like another like it's not cheating if it's if it's not against the rules, but it feels like it's legalized cheating, right? Like we had that deal with Oklahoma back in the early 2000s. It was like that big red car dealership or something, and it was like a work study program pillars could work, you know, and guys would maybe go there an hour or two a week and they'd be clocked in for 30 hours, right? And like, what is preventing any of these boosters that run businesses from just putting players 
on payroll. And like, I, I feel like we're guys are going to be going on official visits. You know, you're going to tour the facilities, you're going to tour the, tour the library and everything. <clears throat> and then you're going to sit down with local business owners and they can tell you how much they could make, you could make from being in their commercial or having one of their, one of their ads on your, on your TikTok account. You know, it's, I feel like sign of the solid verbal pointed this out on their show today. And I thought this was an astute point that I hadn't considered, which was that like, is compliance responsible for these kids getting duped? Like there are going to be shady business people and the kids are just so excited because they're college kids. And then they, they agree to this thing and they promise them this X amount of money and they don't get it. How does that work? Whose job is it to be like, Hey, uh, you didn't pay this kid $12,000 or what? I don't even know what the money would be, but like, who's responsible well, for that because a lot a of kids are going to get screwed i mean if he signs a contract then you can sue somebody right well, like i mean you're going to see a lot of those then like there's going to be all kinds of shady businesses trying to um get these kids locked into contracts and promising them things that they don't deliver on but i think ultimately a lot of these people are going to be fans of teams right mm. so they want to do things to help Alabama football win to help Florida football win, right? A, and so, like, a it's like a bad Gary's PR from Friday Night Lights, just flooding, flooding. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's bad PR. If you're like, well, yeah, the boosters over in Columbia, South Carolina, they'll they'll just renege on a deal on you. You know, it's like you got to watch out for those people. Like, I feel like that would be bad. And I I heard I heard Josh Pate uh, on Late Kick bring up a point that this could be one of the best things to happen for coaches because it's just like a weight lifted off their shoulders. Like you don't have to worry about players talking with agents, what players are, you know, making money on the side, like whatever rules they're breaking. Like it's just a stress that's uh, just off your shoulders as well as like these guys are representing a brand now potentially. And, you know, if you're ineligible, if you're out, if you get a DUI, you know, you get arrested or something like that brand could just drop you, you know, it's like another, just another level of accountability of potentially being added to a guy and not just the coach saying, you know, football is your future. Don't fuck it up by staying out late to too late one night or something, you know, which is also a point that should go over well, but you know, these guys are 18, 19 and we all make questionable decisions at that time of our life. Yeah. I, I am so fascinated to see all of this. Like, I think Milton and King just partnered up for like a whole thing about uh, helping athletes, college athletes set up autograph signings and all kinds of like, that's the stuff that was obvious like 20 years ago, right? Like you're doing the dog walk and everything. Why can't guys just sign stuff as they're doing that pregame? Why, why does it matter that they're making the money? Like the little things you're just like, this is just stupid. These are just arbitrary uh, rules that don't need to exist. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see when the like how this affects team chemistry. Like that is something I'm fascinated by. Um, certain guys getting more money because other guys like I think kids are going to lie to each other. I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see a lot of teams ha- have to deal with internal strife of kids saying they're getting X amount of money from this company. And they're like, what? You're getting that? He sucks. He's not even as good as me. And I'm making this. And like they signed a worse contract than the other kid on the team. And they're like, I'm more talented. Why am I not making more money than this guy on my team? Um, I cannot wait for those reports because that's just I think you're going to see more older coaches dip out um of college football we're seeing that with coach k dipping out roy williams dipping out of college basketball um i i'm curious to see how nick saban handles this i mean he is very much up there on age uh Dabo said he was going to quit if players are ever compensated <laughs> so i'm still waiting for that's that true we're all we're waiting for Dabo's announcement yeah i'm ready for that um so when you talk about their life getting easier from this i think that's interesting because i think it depends on the coach where like I think the young energized like Ryan days and Kirby's will work with this. Um, but in Manny Diaz and probably Mullen and uh, Norvell, obviously on the trail, but um, the older coaches, I wonder, I mean, Mac Brown's older, but he's recruiting at a crazy level, but I, well, I just, and I like, wonder what it, the ones in big TV markets, I wonder what mm. it's going to do to those programs. Like did USC just become a top five job again today? You know, like just being in Los Angeles, like, I don't think Los Angeles cares much about college football as, you know, any of those other top 10, 15 jobs in the country. 
but it's Los Angeles and there's just way more money to be made up somewhere like that. Oh, dude, I just got an alert. Did you see this on your phone? Breaking news in the pod. Is it about Trey Young? No. No. What 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 happened? Mark Rick was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Oh man. CMR. That's, uh, that's tough. <clears throat> it's tough. Mark Rick. Hell of a guy. Man. Well, we'll be talking about Mark Rick's team. Um a little bit on this podcast because if you did not know folks we're going to be talking about the 2012 university of georgia versus university of tennessee football game uh we can call it a football game i would call it just a mind-numbing experience that went on way too long way too long an unreal first but we'll get into that we'll get into that Um, but yeah before the nil thing mm -hmm. what worries me the most is how like we have this happening at the same time as the one-time transfer like, that's, See, okay, like, I'm glad you brought this up because like, I think is this is a bigger just... issue for programs than NIL. I think this is going to be worse for programs than the smaller programs than NIL. Like the it disadvantages. With the, NIL, mm-hmm. with the NIL thrown in there, it's like you could literally pay like your senior starting quarterback just left and don't have a lot of depth. Like just go Alabama could just go buy Tennessee's quarterback. You know what I mean? Like it would just be wild. Like a booster just is paying him two million dollars, and they just transfer a guy transfers from his junior to senior year. Like that would be insane. Trevor Lawrence just changes teams because someone's going to give him two million dollars a year to play football. I I'm just concerned because I think I mentioned this in the podcast a few weeks back that like what we're going to see is the group of five schools or the lesser power five programs are going to be a feeder school where you're going to have a player who got passed over the Washingtons, the USC's, the Alabama's, Clemson's, and they're going to develop. You throw Washington in there with USC, Alabama, and Clemson? You know how I feel about the Washington Oscars. What a great <laughs> program. The, the you you love Washington so much. I don't understand your obsession with Washington. I had to call. I couldn't let you just slide that in there. The true Pac-12 kings. You know, your powerhouses, your Alabama's, <laughs> Clemson's, Washington's, you know. Um, your Colorado's, you know. Those, all the all the powerhouses. <laughs> Big Steven Montez guy over here. Um, no, I just, I think what you're going to see is those programs getting pillaged um, at the end of those young players who develop, that they develop by good coaching, Um and then they just move on and do a year at the USC's, the Oregon's, whoever, and then just jump to the NFL. Like, I think that is going to be a thing because they don't have to sit out and they can just develop. And then guess what? Nick Saban's going to be like, hey, you're three. Guess what? Just come here for a year. You're developed. You're polished. You weren't polished coming out. Now you can come play for me and win me a national title. Like, I think that is going to happen a lot more. That is a bigger detriment to the future of college football and parody and all that kind of stuff than players making money for their name, image, and likeness. I think the transfer stuff is going to be a much bigger on-the-field problem than uh, NIL. That's definitely possible. I, you already see, like, I know just, like, this year, like, like Jamie Newman, like a quarterback from Wake Forest going somewhere like Georgia or a uh, – Tyke Smith from West Virginia transferring to Georgia. Like you've, you're already seeing some of that and those are power five schools. So I don't know how many of those group of five, how many individuals that they'll, will just be so good that, you know, you, you just know this guy can play in the sec. You know what I mean? Like there could be some Dylan Gabriels out there that like maybe next year he goes and transfers to Texas or something like that. But I, uh, I'm curious to see how much that that really happens. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. We we shall see. It. A lot of it's unknown. Like I just I'm excited to see what it all means because a lot of people are speaking with certainty about all of this. The only thing I can speak to certainty of is that um, the transfer rule will benefit the premier programs more than it will the small programs. That is an absolute guarantee. That this is just another advantage to make an already uneven playing field uh, more uneven. Um, no matter how many teams add to the playoff, no matter how many teams, because that's like the the biggest thing about all of this. And 
I will die on this hill that the best thing that uh, college football could do is split the group of five into their own um, their own championship, like split them into their own league, let them play the power five in the regular season when they want to. But there is no path to Coastal Carolina running the gauntlet like you could in March Madness. Football doesn't work like that. And college football does, will never work like that, where that team can get through Ohio State, Clemson, and, Ohio, and uh, Alabama in a magical run. Uh, if you're BYU, Coastal, Iowa State, whoever, like that's not happening. You you literally can't. But why do not? That. Why you, not you let it, it uh, play itself out though? I mean, you never know. Not how it works. Like the like, think about those, some of those Boise. Think about some of those Boise State teams with Chris Peterson. Oh, for right? sure, they win one of those, maybe two. Those are some four. damn good teams. They don't. I mean, four. probably not. But it's like at least let at least let someone beat them. Not just a bunch of people in a room or some computers saying like, no, you're not. No, you're just actually let them not play right. other three and two stars. Like give them their own title games where it's an evenly matched field. Because if you are telling me South Alabama is competing for something next year, you're a liar. If you're telling me Texas State is competing something, no, if fair. you tell me that Toledo is competing for a national championship, you're a liar. Like that's not it's like real. The, it's like the Cincinnati Reds have a legitimate shot to win the World Series, even though no one thinks they will. Right? It's like Nothing's South worse Alabama than that, is never like, winning anything. I wouldn't say any. Pro, every pro team is even. Like you, if you have a smart GM, like you can do it. Like if you have good ownership and a smart GM, everyone has the same opportunity there. College yeah, football, sure. there is no even playing field. Like there is no path to Toledo ever winning a national title. So if you're Frank Solich at Ohio, what are you telling these kids? Like the playoff expanded to 12 games. So that means if we go undefeated in the Mac that we can go beat Alabama and Clemson. No, the fuck that they're not playing for the same championships. It's not real. So like you, it's a facade. And I've heard a lot of people like, Oh, Boston college can now hang the banner. If they make the playoff, that's true. The power five, like those kind of schools Yes, it will be meaningful for them to make the playoff, even if they don't run the gamut, all that kind of stuff. But the group of five schools still have no shot. By and large, 99.9% of them have zero, like zero percent chance of winning a national title. So give them something to play for. Split it off. Why is it a problem to split them off and let them do their own thing? You know what I'd like to see? A final four of Ohio, Toledo, BYU, and Boise. See what happens. Like, that'd be fun. It's interesting. They're on the same level. Like, a Hawaii versus, I don't know, South Alabama national title for group of five? Sign me up. That'd be a much better game than the playoff games that they're throwing out in the group, in the power five. Like, why do we have to pretend still that expanding, like, that's the problem that I will bang this drum. We are not talking about enough, and I still want to split it off. I um I wouldn't have I wouldn't have hated that idea to be honest. I mean, but with the with the playoff going to twelve, like it's here now, like it's happening. That's great. But, like that's fine if you're gonna do twelve, but at least still split off group of five and let them do their own twelve team playoff. No, see, I think the group of five helps the twelve team playoff format because especially say if like last year, you know, like the Pac twelve champion didn't even get in. It would have been Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the people who are arguing that this is going to destroy the college football regular season, like, it's got definitely going to devalue it a little bit. You know, like, seeing rematches, like, that kind of stuff is going to happen. And two lost teams are going to get in. But I feel like college football's regular season needed a little bit of devaluing. Like, you lost like, one game in September and your season's just over. Like, that kind of sucks. Like, even though by the end of the year, you might be one of the best teams. Like, Sports shouldn't be about being perfect. I feel like it should be like all of the other sports or you get your team, you go through the season, like, and maybe you're by the end of the playoffs, like you're ready to make a run, you know? So, and also, but, but what are the point I was making with two teams take from the group of five, taking those spots. I mean, those are two less spots for power five teams to have. So if only 10 teams from Power 5 conferences are getting in, then the regular season still means a lot. If only two Big Ten teams are getting in, or only two, maybe three SEC teams get in, like, it's still mad. But So what are you arguing? I'm just arguing that Group of 5 still has nothing to play for. This is You're doing all of that from the Power 5 perspective and how that changes how Power 5 schools are affected. Group of 5 isn't affected by that. Toledo is not affected by anything that you're saying. Like, they're 
Georgia Southern That's is true. not playing for a national title. Like they're they're not. They used to be when they were in FCS. Now they're not. Like there is no path to them having a shot at winning. I think it's a long one. term. It's a it's a long term path. Though. No, but college football it's, doesn't work like under... that. There's it there's just too many five stars and too many four stars on twelve particular programs for a two star laden team to run a gambit, especially a twelve team gambit. Like it's just impossible. But I think you're underestimating how many more teams are now like attractive destinations to go to when Toledo's they have a legitimate if Toledo has Urban Meyer, like that's not happening. Bowling, what are you talking? Like, what I'm saying, like Bowling Green, like Bowling Green had Urban Meyer at yeah. one point, and he like went undefeated. Like those things happen. The guy, right. the Scott Frost, come to Central Florida. Like those things happen. Those guys run the table. Like those teams can sometimes beat people. So like beat them once, not beat them four times. I mean, maybe not. Who knows? There's no maybe, maybe not. They literally can't. That you cannot beat. Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, and/or Georgia, or LSU. In the way, in the the way it is currently, the way it is currently constructed. Yes, you're right, but I think you're underestimating how much of the talent will go different places when there is a legitimate shot to get to the playoff and get that exposure. Like instead of going to the sixth best team in the SEC, you might go to the best team in the American Athletic Conference. Like Central Florida might be a more attractive destination than going to an Auburn or a Tennessee where you have like basically no shot of getting to the playoff. Not saying those teams don't have a shot to get to the playoff, but it's obviously much tougher when you're the fifth or sixth team in the SEC than just winning like even like an Oklahoma state or like a Wisconsin, these teams that don't necessarily have the most national respect, but a 10 and two season can get you in the playoff and, and now you might be more interested in, in giving another school a shot instead of every five-star player deciding between Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Mm. And on top of the, just the transfers, of just the opportunity to play at a, at a program that could potentially get in the playoff. Like, I just think we're going to see the talent be distributed differently. Like, I mean, I don't know how the NIL stuff is going to conversely affect that, but... I don't know, just with the 12-team playoff, the NIL, the one-time transfer, it's just a crazy, crazy, like, three, like, just dramatic changes to throw into the sport all at once. Like, that's why, like, selfishly as a Georgia fan, I hope we can just see a championship this year before the sport is, like, unrecognizable and everything goes crazy. And we don't have to, we don't have to have a 60th year anniversary patch on Georgia's uh, throwback jerseys. Mm. Um, quickly on Florida State. Um, Florida State right now number five in two four seven's composite recruiting rankings for the twenty twenty two class. Headlineman Travis Hunter, bunch of other five stars. They're in play for several more. Um, this is a real thing. Uh, Florida State is going to, by all accounts, have a top ten class, which is something that they have not done since two thousand seventeen. Matt Green. I have been pushing the Norvell bandwagon for a while. I think Mike Norvell has put together a really, really impressive operation to get them back out of out of purgatory uh, in the ACC. Just all kinds of QB town right now, uh, which was not the case in the Willie Tiger era. And just what Willie Tiger was given um, with Jimbo walking out and not really recruiting or doing anything at the end of his tenure in Tallahassee. But like they they're they're gonna be good like they already got hunter and sam mccall uh aj duffy as well aj duffy being the quarterback you got kevin coleman and jaleel skinner um two receivers that they're in strong play with um elijah pritchett is a top 247 off the tackle they're in good shape there but they have guys everywhere like they are going to be I, like North Carolina is appetizing right now. They're doing great. Mac Brown has exceeded expectations, but there is still a ceiling, I believe, at UNC. There is not a ceiling at Florida State. They will always have an advantage if they get this recruiting stuff figured out because just the pipeline and the history and um, what they can do there. 
they're that- tapping into it now. Like the Knolls, it's not going to come quick. It never comes quick. And the they still have a lot of three stars. They still have to get this thing fixed over a four-year stretch. But I think Norvell is trending towards the Knolls being back in the top 10, <clears throat> top 15 category in recruiting cycles, which <coughs> immediately puts them right back in there with Miami and Clemson. And what helps Florida State as well is the ACC is so thin at the top outside of Clemson that there's just there's an opening like they there is a path to them getting right back into respectability and not even just respectability but like dark horse contention in the ACC like I I, I'm very high on the Knowles and I think people are going to be surprised when it's just like oh the Knowles just have talent everywhere suddenly yeah I feel like I feel like you can make almost a direct correlation between Florida State's demise and Clemson's rise, right? It's like Clemson was doing the same Florida State blueprint. Okay, get SEC talent, but don't play an SEC schedule. Like, that's that's it. Mm. So, like, Clemson has just been a powerhouse. And this is honestly, this is my, I know it's, we're talking about Florida State, but this is my biggest criticism of Dan Mullen is because you're seeing whenever anyone takes over one of these big time jobs and it's a new face it's a new culture you almost always see a spike in recruiting like this like this is just what happens you know kirby smart takes over georgia boom now they're recruiting big time like butch jones takes over tennessee boom get like a top five recruiting class you know what i mean it's it seems like every time a new coach takes over and injects some new some new blood into a program it's like people start buying in. And there wasn't even on-field success for Florida State in year one. And you're already seeing, like, it's just one of those brands. And you got a coach that's, you know, preaching, bringing them back to the glory days of Florida State, which which aren't that long ago. You know, it's uh, we're eight years removed from a national championship. It feels like forever just because they've been so bad for these last couple of years. But, like, they've still produced NFL talent, weirdly enough, like elite first round picks here and there, like even though they've had some really bad teams. So I feel like Florida State seems like an easy job to just bring right back. And you're seeing Mike, not not to take anything away from what Mike Norvell is doing, but that was always my biggest re- criticism of Dan Mullen. It was like, you, you went 10 and three year one, actually had the on-field success and it still didn't translate into any sort of spike in recruiting. And I think that's, that's what you see when a when a good coach takes over a big time program. You see this kind of this new enthusiasm in Florida State. Like it's easy to argue. It's easy to argue that they're they're definitely on the way back. Mm. Uh, last news item before we get into the main event tonight, Matt. Um, Heather Dinich of ESPN was on Feinbaum, and Feinbaum. I don't know if you knew this or not, but he's a pretty big SEC homer, Matt. Like pretty big SEC guy. Is he an SEC guy? He's a big SEC guy. I think he keeps it pretty uh pretty <laughs> fair and unbi- and unbiased. His book's hilarious. Have you read it? I have not. My conference is better than yours. It's it's a wild read. Just means more. It's it's a wild read, man. Um, not the most objective book I've ever read. Um, it's tough though. Like I feel like this is what I always say. Not to interrupt you, but. What I always say about the SEC is it's like it's overrated, but it's still clearly the best. You know what I mean? It's like it's still the best, but I feel like people overrate it at times, you know? And I'm guilty of it, I'm sure. But they like overrate the competition as a whole. They overrate the conference and they just group top to bottom. Yeah, they just group yeah. teams in and they just oh the SEC. It's like, well, explain. Uh, yeah, that. South Carolina went four and eight. Yeah. But, you know, they're in the ACC. They're gonna play for the yeah, college. Like, no, they would no, still they're be not bad. good. Yeah, they're, they're not, just good. not a good football team. They might win one, two more games. I don't know, but they're that yeah, that's the argument that always that always irritates me. But when you talk about the those third and fourth teams in the SEC, like I think there's years where those teams can legitimately compete in other conferences. I would agree. I would agree. Um, but anyway, she posited and her predicted that the Big 12 would have two teams in the playoff this year. Matt, I there's searching for content. I understand it's July 1st. Not a lot going on outside of NIL. Um, this is preposterous. 
this is something that literally can't happen because of the Big 12 makeup, where if Iowa State runs the gambit, they have to play Oklahoma in the regular season and then beat them again in the Big 12 title game. They have to beat Spencer Rattler and Lincoln Riley twice. Like the way the Big 12 is set up, because they have 10 teams, they all play each other, and then they get a rematch in the Big 12 title game. Like that they is... all play each other, and then Oklahoma beats whoever. Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. Big 12 title game. Like, there's no path to the Big 12 getting two teams in. And she was, and I, I knew where she was going when she was talking about this. Just like Iowa State's awesome. They have two Heisman possibilities in Purdy and Hall. Both true. Guess what? It's only me one. If Iowa State gets in, that means Oklahoma's not getting in. It's not they're both getting in by running. Like, there's no path because at least one of them will have two losses. Like, there's no way around one of them having two losses. And. Well, no, they can both have one loss, just both lose to each other. Yeah. Well, then neither of them are getting in. So you no, that's how. No, see, that's how she's saying they get in is that I Oklahoma wins the first match and then goes 11, 12 and 0. Iowa State wins the rematch, and then they're eleven. Oklahoma's not getting they're in both, if they lose the Big 12, Twelve title game. That's not happening. Yeah, it's not happening. But I'm telling you, the committee not, is not doing that. They're not putting in two Big Twelve teams. That is not honestly, happening. The Big Twelve is the worst conference to predict it in. Honestly, like I know yeah. this year they have two of like the top, you know, maybe seven, eight preseason in the in the preseason rankings, but because of just the format of everyone playing everyone yeah the big 12 championship is always a rematch and so it's like we've had a rematch and we're gonna put these two teams in again i mean i guess it did just happen with notre dame and clemson they hypothetically could have played a third time but the big is just... the answer here which is like penn state or and or michigan they have the perfect season they lose to ohio state and avoid the big 10 title game and go 11 and 1 and look dominant the whole year like that that's well, the, the SEC is obviously the the obvious answer, just because they're the only conference that's done it. But I don't think I, yeah. they are though this year, at least. Like Georgia well, playing Clemson throws a wrench in that this year. I mean, other than the fact that Georgia could still beat Clemson, you know, because no, it, I'm saying that, yes, they can if they beat Clemson. And but that's I great. think that's see, I think that's the best scenario though, because now you have if Georgia beats Clemson, runs the table, loses mm-hmm. like an undefeated Alabama. Or maybe it's a one-loss outbound. Whatever happens, like now the team that lost the SEC championship will have beaten one of the other like prime contenders, like in Clemson. Like I think that's like the the, the perfect scenario for it mm. to, to happen. You know what I mean? So, but I think I, I agree with you. The Big Ten has a way better shot of it happening, just because it seems like every time anyone from the West has like their magical year, it's like the year they avoid Ohio State, basically. Mm. So. You have the chance of, you know, Wisconsin or Iowa running the table and then losing to Ohio State or just, like you said, a a team from the from the same division, kind of how Alabama didn't make the conference championship but then got in the playoff, like mm-hmm. a Penn State losing early to Ohio State but then running the table. But honestly, it has to be it has to be the big brand being the second one in because Iowa State doesn't get the benefit of the doubt if they win the first one, but lose the second one, but if Oklahoma state or if Oklahoma loses the first one, but wins the second one, like they do get the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? Well, did I say that backwards? You know what what you're saying? Yeah. Like they, so Ohio state without winning the conference can get in Penn state without winning the conference, like Wisconsin without winning the conference, they're not getting in. So it's like, it's gotta be the Alabama, the Oklahoma, the Ohio state that can get in the playoff without winning the conference. But yeah, like I think, to say the Big 12 is the conference to do it this year, I think it's just, I don't think there's any way. And also, like, when you look at their schedule, it's like, there's just no good wins. Like, you have to have some good out-of-conference wins. And, like, Oklahoma, like, who's their sexy out-of-conference game? Nebraska? Like, that's not that's not doing anything for people. Like, Iowa State, where they play Iowa, like, maybe if Iowa turns out to be, like, a top-five team, you know, maybe maybe we can talk, but... I don't know. I just I don't see it happening at all in the Big Twelve. All right. Well, let's let's move to the main event: the 2012 Georgia versus Tennessee matchup that ended 51-44 in favor of the Dogs. An unreal first half length. 
just all kinds of bonkers stuff in this game. This game had everything. I've never... It really did. I mean, I didn't even, like... <laughs> do you recall a kicker getting benched mid-game? Like a no. place kicker getting benched mid-game? I didn't either. And um, they got benched mid-game. Uh, Tennessee's kicker in this game. Forgot his name. Brock. Oh, actually, I think I think Georgia may have benched... Uh... Brodus. Andy Bailey back in the day. I don't know if that mm. name rings a bell. And then Brandon Katu took over. And Brandon Katu was like a really good kicker. Colin Till, Gwinnett County native. Mm. But that's the only other one I can remember. Yeah, it's just a rarity. Although Hot Rod, when, when Rodrigo Blankenship, maybe he took over when someone got benched. But sorry, keep going. But yeah, this game had everything. Just uh, some turnovers. Uh, we had Brian, uh, Brian Danielson. Uh danielson just uh call out plays before they were happening like i i, I like gary i I'll, I'll always ride for gary gary i can understand why some people dislike him but the way that uh georgia fans always thought he hated the university of georgia always cracked me up i was like this <laughs> like every georgia florida game is like oh gary in for urban gary in for mullen gary in for blah, blah, blah. it's like that dude went to purdue he has no allegiance to like what 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 are we doing? I'll be honest, I did always get Gary Danielson's back. Like I, as much as much as people love Uncle Vern, I I always hated more on Uncle Vern near the end. Like I just feel like, especially like 2012 around that time, like dude was struggling. Like he didn't know the players' names anymore. Like he was missing some stuff here. He was missing. He Marshall would yeah. There would kind of be long long runs where he kind of just those long. Just, he called a first down on a second and long. Like it clearly was like eight <laughs> yards away from the first down marker, and he was like, "All right, moving the chains." And Gary's like, "No, I think he was short." And it was yeah, like, hey. just those pauses where you feel like you can, I feel like you can feel him tracing the roster, trying to figure out who number three was. But like, Gary's like openly like, "Oh well, when um, Neil is a yard and a half behind Bray, uh, behind where, and he lines up where the left guard is, they're running the football." And George is not adjusting. He's just doing it over and over again. Like Tennessee's the Jim Cheney experience. It's just not adjusting or anything. But um, yeah, uh, it was it was a it was a wild ride, and it was a long long ride. And that was that was my blitzing Thursday afternoon, Matt. Um, you were at this game though, so I think we should start with story time for you. Ah, I uh, I was at this game, 2012. That would uh, to take the listeners back. That is a uh, that's a 22 year old. Uh, version of myself and um so i have an am i the asshole uh scenario mm-hmm. for you from this 2012 game so i was in a spanish class uh with a female who's a big georgia fan and she had tickets to the game and uh offered me free ticket to the uh to the georgia game so i did it saturday uh i was like yeah i'm down so that saturday you're aware of the uh the ung oakwood campus so they got the ride share set up off the highway there so this girl's like you know come over uh you can just park at my parents house or whatever and then we can go to the game so i'm thinking like i'm not that into this girl right i'm down to go to the georgia game just not that into this girl so i'm like let's just meet up at the ride share at at the UNG Oakwood campus, right? So we do that, and that's like five, ten minutes from our house or something. Then we go to make the drive to Athens. And then um, about the third quarter, end of the third quarter, which to all our listeners on, a crazy college football game was happening. End of the third quarter, Georgia's up 51-37. 50-37, right? 50, no, 51-37. Oh, yeah, 51, okay. So... And then uh, her friend that we had like talked to at halftime, her friend comes down, like meets at the seats, and is like, "We're we're leaving. My brother's driving us home. Like we're leaving." And I was just like, "I'm I'm gonna stay." She couldn't take any more Air Marie checkdowns. <laughs> I was just like, "This is a great game. Like it's going in the fourth quarter. Like close game." So she uh. She was leaving at the end of the third quarter. She, you know, paid for my ticket. Her family had tickets. I got a free ticket. But, like, I was just like, I don't have to go back with this girl. I have Mm. friends in Athens. Like, I knew it was actually one of my buddy's, like, birthday, and he was in town. So, like, I knew that I had things to do in Athens. 
and I was like, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna stay here. It honestly, probably made it way easier than if you would, uh, like the game had been over. Like, oh, you want to hang out now? I'd be like, ah, not really. <laughs> so it, it was probably, probably the most perfect thing that happened. Then I would have really been the asshole. Uh-huh. But um, yeah. So under this scenario, so then yeah, I watched the fourth quarter by myself and hung out with my friends in Athens. Am, am I the asshole in this situation? No, because. I mean, she was trying to leave in the middle of the third quarter. Like that, she invited you to a game that she didn't plan on staying through. Without a doubt. Like, no, I think you're in the clear there. I I think you're in the clear, um, because she should have positioned it as like, hey, I know this game's awesome, and I invited you, but uh, this is unexpected, so feel free to stay. If you're good, that's cool. Um, but we got to bounce, and if you want to come with, that's also cool. You know, you gotta you gotta play both sides of the fence there if you're going to pull that card true that and i i was not like involved with this girl in any way we just like talked in class so you know i wasn't really obligated to uh to do anything more you know like it's not like we were like talking or anything so i think i was in the clear mm. but i just had to uh, had to get that off my chest you know there you go i mean also I, after a hawks game, oh go ahead Way well, it could have been way worse. Like I guess this this girl's family had like season tickets. We mm. talked about going to the Georgia South Carolina game in Columbia that year, twenty twelve. Do you remember Georgia South Carolina twenty twelve? No. By any chance, off the top of your head, dude. Top top five matchup. Like both teams in the top five. College game day there, night game, and Georgia got absolutely murdered. Like thirty five <laughs> seven or some shit. Like. Mm. That would have been the worst thing ever. I'm like in this shitty game with like this girl I don't even like four hours from my house. Like that would have been a that would have been a real road road test for me. What was class like next week after this? I honestly don't really remember. I don't think anything was I don't think anything was awkward. Mm. But Should I feel like we the next day? I feel like we weren't as close after that. I'll I'll say that. She didn't check on you to be like, Hey, everything end up okay? In Athens? Um, I honestly don't remember. No follow-up text. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was what it was, you know? Yeah, I, you know, you live and you learn, Matt Green. For sure. But we can uh, we can get back to this, this actual game of Georgia just running all over Tennessee. It well, was, they were uh, running all over him early. So they were it averaging. Was Gershel, it was prime Gershel. Yes. Well, not even Todd prime. Green. This is early Gershel. This is... Their fourth game together, um, but that's what I'm saying. Keith Marshall's prime lasted so so short. Like yeah. the freshman year was the best year you got of him. Um, I lost track. I was making notes how many times the broadcast cited Aaron Murray as experienced in this game. That was the way they talked about him. Was he experienced? And that Bobo trusts him. Like that's the only way they described him. His balls were awful. Like I had forgotten just how bad Georgia quarterbacks were prior to like it's Stafford's the outlier and um by and large it's been Aaron Murray was a very good quarterback who he didn't have a I said Aaron Murray he just Aaron Murray was taking the dinks and dumps and like he had Michael Bennett wide open on these slants there was some illegal movement from uh Michael Bennett the the pick play that sprung him for a touchdown like the push off that's this is a this is just a one game sample size like Aaron Murray could throw some deep balls could he? He, had, he didn't have the strongest arm by any means, but like Georgia had a really good passing attack for four years right mm. Like especially like from his freshman year on too. Like he was his senior year too, with all the injuries, like Georgia's like three best receivers got hurt for the season, like the two best running backs were hurt. Like that's when Aaron Murray gained everybody's respect. Honestly, the whole Georgia fan base hated on him until like the third game of his senior year like yeah because he's just underwhelming like he's just it like, irritates he doesn't survive in today's fans. college football like you cannot survive with the way aaron murray played and managed uh the game like he was no, he took I zero chances in this game like zero i, see, I disagree because georgia had a good passing attack then like that was that's like the bare minimum you need but like you can win with a guy who's just like solid you don't need to have trevor lawrence or justin fields in order to have a good team you know uh, we like, just saw not- notre dame like they could not get through because they don't have the quarterback. They have everything else. They just don't have, don't have the elite quarterback. And I, I don't agree. I think you actually have to have the superstar quarterback like we, to win now. See, I just don't. I think we've had a couple years in a row of you know star quarterbacks 
leading teams to championship. I think that's the new normal, though, is what I'm saying. But I'm just saying we're not that far removed from Jalen Hurts and Jake Fromm being the two quarterbacks starting in the national championship. Like, yeah. both throwing, like, 18 and, like, 24 touchdown passes. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I think Jake I'm Fromm just... is so much better than Aaron Murray. Like, I, that was another takeaway. I was like, man, maybe we undervalued Jake Fromm's ability versus uh, Aaron Murray. But it's also, like, there's a reason Tyler Bray is still getting NFL checks and Aaron Murray has been uh, out of the league for a very long time. That, there's well, a reason yeah, for he's, that. He's definitely... It's so obvious his physical limits, but but yeah, that Georgia team was just was loaded. Like I think uh, were they though? Because the, they're kind of anemic out wide. Like it wasn't like they had the pick. No, run. dude, they Rontavious were just all Wooten like and Malcolm like Mitchell got benched one. early in this game. So Mitchell was awful. Like Mitchell had this bad pitch play, and they were putting him in these sweeps, and it didn't work. Then he took this awful punt return and put Georgia back at the one that ended up leading to a Tennessee touchdown later because tennessee scored 20 points in four minutes off some really bonker second quarter action yeah and, that was wild like it was just a crazy experience but mitchell sucked and they just went away from him it i thought that was but interesting this, but this receiving core like they were all like the same level of talent but it was super deep like compared with, to now with with michael bennett and tavaris king and mike con mike conley and uh, mike conley. Michael, michael conley no and, chris conley right Chris Conley, yeah, you're right, Chris Conley. But, like, Malcolm Mitchell, too, like, they were super deep. Uh, Marlon Brown was on this team, yeah. too. Like, the 2018 team that had, who was, like, Nico Hardman, Godwin, Riley Ridley, Jeremiah Holloman, like, that team, like, had more talent. But that that's the only other receiving core I think that George had that was better than that, like, 2012-2013 core. I think you just had, like, five, like, really solid receivers. And they all had such good timing. Like, Murray was hitting the back shoulder throws, like, all day. Like, that was Murray's, like, bread and butter. That's why this team and, – and every starter on this defense played in the NFL. Like, this team was, like, pretty loaded. They weren't as good statistically from 2011 to 2012 – but they brought back like every starter. I think until like Sean, that was when the year when Sean Williams like called out like players on the defense the week of the Florida game, and then it kind of hyped everybody up after that. It was our, it was Georgia's closest thing to the, the Tebow speech, if you will. But um, this team was 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 really loaded, and I think that's why it was so frustrating that this team. I think this team was good enough to win a national championship, like with how they came up short to Alabama that year, like. Aaron Murray wasn't a good deep ball thrower. That's why oh, I just I it kills me how Georgia doesn't spike it there at the end of that Alabama game because it's like Aaron Murray didn't have the deep ball, but those like little five ten yard little like dinking he was he was on the money at those. It's like I feel like if, well that if was what was so two- annoying about Tennessee in this game too is that like Tyler Bray was killing him on the underneath stuff. Like they did not have an answer for Cordero Patterson uh, streaking underneath. Like they just had no one who could cover Cordell. Cordero and Roberts was also doing that. He was going full West Welker in this game with his quick outs and quick slants inside routes. Like he was doing the hitch and goes and he was seeing whether or not, well, he was just playing zone stuff with like, he was like, Oh, are, are y'all going to come out? Oh, you're not. Okay. Here, here we go. The river didn't move over. Uh, here's five yards, first down, whatever. But like Tyler Bray was killing him on that. But like he was over shooting Justin Hunter multiple times. They didn't really have a good connection in this game, but like there was no answer for Patterson and Tennessee just like did this thing where they wanted to be like Georgia. Cause Georgia, I think at one point had like 260 yards in the ground and 260 passing yards. Like it was even and Tennessee was not there at all, but Tennessee, it, we saw that this past fall, like they wanted to be Georgia. Pruitt wanted to build Georgia 2.0 with not Georgia talent. And that was something I just thought about. I was like, this team is still doing this. They're doing the kneel up the middle stuff, the halfback dives, the halfback draws over and over again. And I'm like, no, th- what works is when you find Rivera, like you target him eight times, hit him four times, and there's 100 plus yards and some big plays. You you keep feeding Cordero Patterson because no one can tackle him. That touchdown run he had was just bonkers, like just across the field. Like Gurley had some crazy ones, but like you are not going to win playing like Georgia. And Jim Chaney, of course, being the guy here in both accounts, but like they wanted to play like Georgia without Georgia talents. And I think that ended up costing them this game. Cordero Patterson is like one of the the strangest skill sets of all time, right? Like he's just a wide receiver who's just not really that good at playing wide receiver, mm-hmm. but he's but he's just like a really good athlete. And now I think of, 
Like last year, he's just hard to bring down. Like he's back, like great. Right? He was just hard to bring down. He's a big dude. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a Pro Bowl kick returner, and he's essentially just playing running back these days. And it's just it's kind of crazy. This guy like a prototype. Like I don't know what he was like six three, six four, like two fifteen or something. Like I remember he was like the top JUCO player coming out of the country in the country that year. Um, but yeah, he was he just always made highlight highlight real plays, but. This just felt like such a Mark Richt game of like, yeah. like it was what was it twenty seven ten after yeah, the early the game over like twenty seven yard touchdown and then it was just like weird inexplicable like kind of dumb play after dumb play just kind of like a, a weird fumble and then like Gurley uh, feeling the kick return stepping out of bounds at like the one yard line like. Just stupid things that just like, what are we doing? Like, I think that's how you felt with Mark Rick so many times. It was like, bad teams don't look this bad. So you know what yeah. I mean? And those little stretches that they would go on where they're just where they would beat themselves. Well, they'd have back to back fumbles. You're like, what are you doing? Like the strip sack and then the Marshall fumble, and you're like, oh, they're just back into this game now, and they just uh, quickly figured it out. But I, I was, I was stunned by what they did but then they would just have these moments with like the other thing too it kind of reminded me of the oklahoma game oklahoma georgia from the rose bowl remember when they had the when rodrigo had that last field goal going into the half to give them that momentum like morgan getting that 50 yard field goal late because tennessee pooched it for some reason why they've been kicking out of the end zone the whole game and Gurley's been doing dumb stuff in the back like he wants to bring it like why would you not keep punting it out of the end zone like what are you worried about what what is happening they they punted it they just pooched it and he got the ball to like the 30 and then they proceeded to hit lynch on a check down and he got a huge gain out of it and then they had bennett hit a deep curl and boom 50 yard field goal tie game they should have been up going in the half that was like one of those dumb things or dually was like what do you that you talk about rick doing some just questionable stuff it's like what is Derek Dooley doing? Then the biggest moment of the game where this is now, I think, out of football, thankfully, but like Dooley kicking a field goal, the 28 yarder that missed off the uh, wide left that ended up getting uh, Brodus benched. It was fourth and five. They were down two touchdowns. By kicking the field goal, they're still down two scores. There was no reason. they Georgia had 50 points to this point in the game. What? Why do you think that you're going to win this game by kicking a field goal? What? What What are you doing? Why, why are you not just going for it at all times, especially in enemy territory? Why are you kicking this field goal? I was glad they missed it. It's like, what are you doing? You should be fired on the spot for stuff like that. Like, uh, that's not allowed. As the CEO of this program, you are not allowed to make that call. Like, you are not allowed to kick a field goal or attempt to kick a field goal when you're down two touchdowns let like late in the third quarter to a team that you've given up like 500 yards of total offense and they have 50 points on you like what are you doing yeah that's uh Derek Dooley in a nutshell right I feel like it was uh not a great not a great era for Tennessee football I was I was uh surprised when I saw Sam Pittman and Jim Chaney on, on the Tennessee sideline for this game yeah, oh, you know, Pitt- it's one thing I'd forgotten about. Sorry, you can go ahead. Well, no, Pittman, it's funny you say that because I thought that was Grantham on the sideline. Like, I'd forgotten how much they <laughs> kind of looked alike. I just, I'd forgotten when I looked over. I was like, wait, what am I looking at? And then Sal Sinceri, uh, not a great look for him on this day. <laughs> yeah, Grantham, it's like, I feel like I, I feel like I was in the twilight zone. Like, I remember, like, not liking him while he was my my team's defensive coordinator yeah. right there's like there's certain guys you like you vouch for and then there's like those friends you have that people like talk shit about and you're like yeah you're right i don't really oh, like let me, him let either me do a, <laughs> let's do your top three if you had to organize your top three most disliked um assistant coaches during the mark Richt era you ready number um, one brian schottenheimer number one's gotta be schottenheimer that's what i was thinking number two is it willie martinez or grantham how do you do two three Grantham was more like hateable, mm. but but the team I don't know because William Martinez like those first couple years like when he, I feel like he just kind of was 
riding the the waves of what Van Gorder kind of built on defense, though. And then, so, like, for a couple years after Van Gorder left, like, the defense was still really solid. Grantham was just, like, I don't know. He's just, like, he's just douchey. Like, just that super, like, meathead kind of football guy. Just, you feel like a vein is going to pop out of his head any moment. Like, I I guess I got to put Grantham, too, just because I guess there's not that many coordinators of the Rick era, you know, it's really just Bobo and Schottenheimer. Like, are those the only offensive coordinators you ever really had? Like, I mean, he was, he was calling the plays and they may have had an offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. the first five, six, seven years. But I think by like, Oh six or so, I think Stafford's freshman year, I think like he didn't tell anyone, but I think like after the season, it was like, Oh yeah, by the way, Bobo has been calling plays like all year. So I think I think it was just Bobo, and then went straight to Schottenheimer, right? And then was there somebody? It's twenty fifteen with Schottenheimer, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that was it. And then just Van Gorder, Willie Martinez, Grantham, and Pruitt. And I was I was a huge Pruitt fan when he was the DC at Georgia. So I I won't say anything bad about Pruitt. Like I feel was like Clinton never the OC. Was he not in that last year? Was it not him or Brown? Did they not have it? Maybe not. No, I don't think so. Hmm. McClendon was the uh, interim coach, though. He's, so okay. he got he's got that one and zero record. <laughs> People forget. <laughs> Mark Rick did not go ten and three in his final season. He only went nine and three. Brian McClendon, Penn State can't beat Brian McClendon. <laughs> Any final but thoughts one thing, on this game? Yeah. One thing I forgot about this game was I, I didn't even remember this era of Tennessee football. The beast formation. Oh God. The wild AJ Johnson, I didn't even remember them calling it the beast formation. They showed it. He had like three career touchdowns at that point. Like AJ Johnson, the Gainesville native. Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually met AJ Johnson in downtown Knoxville. Me and my brothers after the uh, 2011 game. Hmm. Uh, yeah, fun fact for you because he was that the 2011 class was that Georgia like that the dream team class with Isaiah Crowell and everything, Malcolm Mitchell. And he was part of that class, but he obviously chose Tennessee to go to Georgia. But he was like a big time, like top hundred recruit or whatever. And I remember like these guys, we like saw these random dudes, these Georgia fans, like on the street or whatever. And then we like we're talking to him, they're like, Oh yeah, he plays for Tennessee. And I saw this guy, and I was just like, Oh shit, like I follow recruiting, like you're AJ Johnson, like from Gainesville. And the dude, I feel like, was so taken back by it. He's just like, Holy shit, these Georgia fans, like, they know who I am. Like, that's wild. But yeah, it was, a, it was a nice guy. 2011, back in the day, we were running Knoxville. There you go. That's my one. That's my one trip to Knoxville though. 2011. It was a. Uh, it was an ugly. An ugly game. I want to say it was like 20 to 12 or something. A, a weird, weird, weird final score. This year should be more fun when Joe Milton steps on their faces with a hobnail boot. <laughs> is that what's gonna happen yeah joe milton stepping gotta over. go back into knoxville and it is back in knoxville um all right matt green well that's all i've got the that's Hawks make a, that's make a trip up there man yeah i mean you have a you have a place to crash here you have a place if you want to make the trip matt green you're more than welcome right we have to make that happen sounds like a plan sir. i'm looking forward tennessee needs to be great again Make Tennessee great again. No, stop it. No, I don't want this. Not great. Solid. They need to be great they need again to be solid. They need for, to fo- for the SEC schedule, it'll mm. make it'll make the SEC schedule so fun. Like I hate Georgia Auburn being in October now instead of November. Like that's gonna be like a permanent thing. Like whatever. But if if Tennessee can legit replace that game and you can have like some years where the SEC East is on the line like in mid November, like that's great for for college football and just for the SEC because there's so many years like after Georgia and Florida play like the last four weeks of the season, you you know who's going to the SEC championship. Like there's years where Georgia doesn't have an SEC game like the last three weeks of the season. It's just it's it's dumb. So if we if that Tennessee Georgia like mid November thing can if we can start to get some some good highly ranked matchups I feel like that would just be great for the SEC like season you know just for like how the how the schedule like how the drama builds throughout the year yeah all right Matt Green well that's all I've got what game do you want to do next week 
I don't know. Do we want to just visit another Georgia Tennessee thing? I kind of no, like. We got to we got to branch. We got to branch it out. All right, we got to uh, we'll have to think about it. Okay, I'll I'll do some research. I'll do some research. All right. Well, the Hawks are on, and I got right. I got a transition, Matt Green. Without so for that guy down there, Trey Trey Young, Trey Young playing tonight. You know, no, he's not. <sighs> that sucks. Yeah. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Um, for Hawks, that guy, Hawks and six. I mean, let's hope so. For that guy down there in tequila georgia matt green you can find him on twitter at matt underscore w underscore green uh, you can find myself at chase double underscore thomas uh, and if you like listening to us uh, leave us a rating on apple Podcasts, five star rating and review tell your friends share us on share it on your favorite social media platform follow us at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer they just released all the podcasts on the professional page so apple and uh facebook partnership it's officially live so like i have all these new episodes that just like instantly integrated into my thing it's it's a whole thing it, but that's beside the point um for myself up here in knoxville tennessee that is all i've got matt thank you as always my friend i greatly appreciate it and we will talk next week yes sir Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.